Yo, what's up? This is Alex with Gray Area. Welcome to our series Spotlight, where our mission is to build a bigger and more united house music community by sharing new and exciting artists, festivals, and event brands with you. In this interview, you hear from Ilius and Barrientos, a house duo from Glasgow that releases on Tool Room, Glasgow Underground, and Elro Music. Be sure to like this video and subscribe for more interviews just like this. Good to see you guys. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to talk to me today. Yeah, uh, much appreciated. So I'm going to hop right in here um, with a little bit of a strange question, but how would you explain your music to someone who has never heard dance music before? <laughs> Our music? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, if, so someone that's never heard dance music before, I would say our music is energetic and fun. Yeah, I would say that's a good, yeah, accessible to anyone that's got a, a passion for life, I suppose, that wants to enjoy a good time. That, that's the way I would, I would describe it. <clears throat> feel good. Oh, that's, all, that's all we want. We, we just want people to feel good when they listen to the music. Most definitely. I think that's, a, that's an apt description. Um, <laughs> can you guys talk about what your musical upbringing was like? What kind of music did your parents listen to when you were growing up? Oh, my, pet, my parents, um, well, my mum mostly, that's my influence. So, like, she was a mad Elvis Presley fan, but then it was things like the Rolling Stones and Motown and Bee Gees and funk and soul. It was it was kind of like just, it was more in that direction that everything had a rhythm, I suppose. Yeah. Um, which then allowed me to move into hip-hop. But, yeah, my mum just was crazy about... Um, yeah, people like that, like I mentioned, uh, just had to be very, very rhythm-based. Um, George Benson, she was a massive George Benson fan as well, um, huge. <clears throat> uh, so, And then the legend that was Marvin Gaye, like just yeah. very soulful and very sexy. Um, and I, maybe that's why I've moved into what I move in, what, what we do now, like, because it's all soulful and sexy, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Maybe it's totally different. Um, my dad is just a straight-up classical music fan. It's what he loves. Right. You know, 90% of what he listens to is, is just classical music. Um, and he likes the weird stuff as well. He likes, you know, um, he likes Shostakovich and, and uh, Stockhausen, all the really strange modern classical. But And, and the other 10% was, was jazz. So, you know, that, that's all he listens to. He did, He just has no, he's no range. <laughs> that, that's it. You know, he doesn't say, oh, I can appreciate, I can appreciate, you know, Someone like Elvis because he simply doesn't listen to him and doesn't doesn't pay attention. Uh, but that's just what he was like. And and my mum is more like well, she she still still listens just to a lot of um, uh, Latin music. So right. a lot of local she still loves a lot of local Chilean music, you know, which is called cueca. So she likes a lot of cueca music and she likes samba and everything, just anything Latin she loved. So I didn't really have any of like I didn't really know much outside of that. I never so I never really knew what was going on in terms of like you know times like Marvin Gaye and Elvis I just never right. really never you know I never I never sought it out so Elias for you it wasn't too much of a leap to hop into house music um because everything that she mentioned is stuff that that we all sample anyways right yeah. um but Ivan for you that's that's a little bit further of a way to go so when you started to develop your own musical taste um what did that look like well my musical taste came really from as I mean, don't get me wrong. I like I loved classical music as well because that's what I used to study. You know, right. I, I used to play piano, so I used to study classical music, and, I, and that's all. You know, I would I would practice and practice. But you know, once I got into high school, my sister really influenced a lot of what I listened to, 
But my sister was really into like heavy metal and goth. Oh, wow. And really, you know, um, new metal and all that area, you know, like going into like quite death metal But that stuff was a little bit too too far for me. So I used to love that. You know, I, I used to really get into it. And then she kind of got me into like post-rock and bands like that. So as I was going, you know, going through high school, it really wasn't until like I was like 16 or 17 that I started listening to like Daft Punk. So I, I was very, very late in the game. You know, I didn't really know much about dance music at all until I was old enough to go out. Right. Interesting. So it was really just like genuinely overnight, I went to a festival. Yeah. Because Daft Punk were playing at a festival in Scotland. Um, 2009, I think, or 2007. 2007. So you were, so you you caught the pyramid. Yep, in 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 Inverness. Yeah. So I went to go see that. That was the only that was the only one that I knew. And then guys like um, Roman Flugel, Ero Alkin, they were DJing at Soul Wax. Right. A lot. These guys had never heard of them before, but I just remember being in that ten and thinking, "Fucking hell, that's so good!" Like I've never mind blown. What an interesting time to like get into dance music because I feel like that. Uh, I was talking to somebody else about that a couple of days ago, and I, they were were just. I was just saying how how much of a shit like cultural shift that was in dance music to go from like before the pyramid. I would say like in America at least, um, you know, dance music wasn't pop music yet, yeah. and I feel like that was like the cultural shift um, between like it be, being underground and it becoming like the big thing. Um, Ilias, for you, it was uh, you started off as a hip hop DJ and a turntablist. Um, so again, it's not like a huge leap um, to get into house music. But what inspired you to move into house music? Um, I suppose because we come from this remote place called Scotland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, it was like I, I, play, I was playing in nightclubs and bars, and and uh, I was getting gigs all over the place and playing hip hop. Um, and as far as my city was concerned, I kind of had a glass ceiling. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't get any more gigs. Or <clears throat> so I had to figure out a way of. And when I I had an MPC. And I was trying to make hip hop beats. And I remember there was just this, I went to, I got dragged along to see Ferry Costin, um, <laughs> who I didn't enjoy the music or anything like that. But the week prior, I got, I went to see Jazzy Jeff and Jazzy Jeff was just doing his cutting up and having fun and entertaining the crowd and, <clears throat> and obviously playing a couple of his records that he produced. Um, and then the following week, Ferry Costin, I had no idea of the records or anything, but I had someone with me that just knew it. He was like a super fan and he was going like, that's his remix and that's his record and that's his record. And I could just see the people going absolutely crazy. Um, so it, I just, it was almost like the light bulb moment that I had to figure out a way to find and a faster BPM, what I enjoy, yeah. what I can, is accessible to me and which I can still have the influences that I want to use in, that, in, a, style, in a style of music. Um, I was already familiar with people like Amon Van Helden and, and uh, DJ Sneak and people like that, but right. I, and obviously Daft Punk as well. But I don't think I've ever, I don't think I ever gave them a genre or gave them a home in my head of what where they belong because maybe a little bit like Ivan's dad. It was it was stuff I didn't check for, it was stuff I didn't look out for. I was so in this hip hop world, right. and the minute that I read back on people like like Masters of Walker Van Helden and, and where they came from. Like my, my 
my kind of thing is always you can't know where you're going until you you know where you've been and so I always do research and like music and same with what I've done with turntables and hip-hop and when I find out <clears throat> what these guys have went through and how their journey came from being hip-hop heads and uh, like Kenny Dope is a massive hip-hop head for instance everyone knows yeah, yeah. and then to move into like this rhythm of house with faster BPMs and you can still be really soulful with it that was my whole journey into finally making a faster BPM and then realizing I don't need singers or songwriters or anything like that. I can just create something from me for the dance floors within a day or two. <clears throat> Interesting. Do you feel like you gained something from starting your uh, career off as, as a hip hop DJ? Yeah, as a DJ, definitely. Like, I always say this to Ivan, I always think any hip-hop DJ, like, a good one can come and do a house set. I don't think any house DJ can come and do a, a hip-hop set. Oh, that's and, real. And, and that's what, I, I like, I, I, I'm so versatile. I can play any genre. Not that I would in a house set, but I can, when there's a problem that occurs, can switch quickly up or read a crowd or... And then also your knowledge for samples and your knowledge, I'm not a musician like Ivan is, but your knowledge for just hearing things that can go with things together. Like, and if that's why I think the hip hop thing has really helped me anyway. And it's helped people throughout time. Like hip hop guys sampled disco records to create hip hop. And, right. and they created genres and created what we kind of call today. You just need to look at people like Drake and Lil Wayne and whoever is massive at the moment. <clears throat> Kanye. No, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, and hip hop and, and dance music came from the same place. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you've come back to that. Um, exactly. What do you guys remember about your first gigs as solo artists before you guys got together? Well, I remember mine. The, 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 fir the, the first time I ever did a, as a show just under the name Barrientos was, um, so the, there used to be a really good night in Glasgow at, at, at the Glasgow Art School. Um, called One More Tune, uh, ran by a local a local guy called Matthew Craig, and it was really it was a great night. We used to run on I think it ran on a Friday night or a Saturday night, or, but it was the weekend anyway, and uh, that was a really big night. But Matthew also ran this night called Cheap and Nasty. It was just like it was smaller guys, smaller venue on a Thursday at this place called Nice and Sleazy's. <laughs> nice and sleazy is, is this great bar in Glasgow. It's just like a bit of a dive in it. I, 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 you, you, the Alex and Norris, this sounds like a two life crew night. Do you know two life crew? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, nice and sleazy is just this, like, as it's like, but it's a cool bar. It's like a loads of, you'll find loads of Glasgow bands that used to hang out there and, and like, Kind of like kind of hipster DJs used to used to hang about there, but I had a basement anyway, and it was just like on a Thursday. And Matthew Craig, I, I can't, I, I I knew him, but I can't remember why he asked me. He just went, "Oh, do you want to come along and play a set?" Uh, and I was just like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do it." Uh, one, I couldn't DJ, so <laughs> two, I had to figure, <laughs> I had to figure out how I was going to play music. So I had a laptop. I got I got a copy of Ableton. I bought a. I bought this <clears throat> MIDI controller. Wow. Yeah. Evolution, Evolution UC33E. <laughs> I bought that. And then I bought a, I don't have it here, but I bought a little tiny um, MIDI keyboard. So I did, I did it just to trigger little uh, transitions and samples. So then I just hooked it up and it was the first time I'd ever played. I just went for it. I was like, fuck it. And I, bought, I had a sound card. So I just plugged it in. I just played. 
Fuck I it. think it played to about 15 people, which is not yeah. bad. Hey, that's not bad for a first gig. Most people will pay to like two people for their first gig. Or the, or yeah, the because promoter. it was cool because that Cheap and Nasty was exactly that. It was £2 entry. So people would drink upstairs and if they wanted to come, if they were drunk enough to come dance, <laughs> you'd pay £2 to come in the door. Right. And, uh, and that was it. Yeah, and I, actually, I remember uh, a couple of my friends who I'm really, really good friends with now, but I didn't really speak to them, I actually came to the gig. But I don't remember them being there because we didn't really speak. We right. knew who we were because we were in the same school together, but then, you know, they were like, oh yeah, we were there at your very, very first gig. They're just wow. at the back. <laughs> and I was there, yeah. I was like, I just had to learn quickly how to do it. And I was just like, right, fuck it. I'll get it going. You know, I had great fun. I remember it being really fun. Nice. What about yourself, Elias? Um, yeah, my first kind of solo projects, I was making music, like getting into the house world. And, and my first like thing where I thought I was getting somewhere or achieving something in house, in house music was I had this, vinyl um coming out on Morris Audio and um it was Dale Howard that was going to be on the remix so I was so excited about Dale Howard was really doing things at the time like yeah. it was not going to be on this remix package um <clears throat> and then all of a sudden out of nowhere like now we, we get kind of and we've been on Radio 1 a lot and things like that like happen at the moment for us but at that time like to get a Radio 1 play from Pete Tong I just remember that being such a massive thing and it was also a massive thing going back to the hip-hop thing because everyone knew me in the city i come from as like a hip-hop guy yeah and then i just heard this house records from me and like all the kind of old school guys were like giving it well done and there were some guys as well that were going like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) (laughs) you're a hip-hop guy sit back down sort of thing but yeah that was it was a bit bit different for you Elias, wasn't it because like you you were Elias used to be a dj around glasgow right i don't really remember you having gigs so much as a solo artist because I think you were always gigging yeah. anyway. You were always doing bars and clubs and residencies. Right. So like, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it took a while before you actually got booked as like an artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I kind of got booked to get booked as an artist individually. It took time because one, we, we started to do things as well, and it was for me it was more like because I knew so many people in the city. Like to this day, I still do. Like whether it's promoters or DJs and. And like, so off the back of the couple of records, I would get a residency in a sub club and, and things like that would happen. But, and, um, and then, but my bar gigs were like the first things that where I was allowed to play dance music. And I remember my first one actually was in Mosquito and I was in another bar around the corner called Buddha and I was playing hip hop and I got the phone call, a phone call from my friend at the time who was a manager and was like, the DJ's not showed up. Like, you can play whatever you want, come around the corner. And it was actually like a 10-minute walk. So I went like, to the other bar. I went like, to the other bar. I was like, why don't you leave? Like, there's a problem at home. And I just left. And I went around the corner to literally play the music I finally wanted to play. And I got an opportunity to play. Um, but yeah, it was a difficult journey, man. But I think everyone has has those as DJs and producers. And especially when you're starting out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys both managed to float around in the same scene in Glasgow for a really long time before actually meeting. And can you talk about when you were first introduced and how you decided to start writing music together? Yeah, go for it. We we, we first, like, uh, it's it's funny because you you can be in, in, like, Glasgow isn't a big city, but, you know, there's still plenty of people and artists that that come and go that you never actually get to meet. Right. Do you know? It's just whether it's, like, out with your friendship group or maybe you don't know the same people that run with them 
Well, you know, so you, you can kind of like, you can, you could go here. I mean, there's still DJs that I've never met in yeah. Glasgow. Absolutely not. I've not, you know, I, I've, I probably wouldn't even recognise them if we walked by right. each other on the street and vice versa. They probably wouldn't recognise me. But we, you know, Ellis and I, kind of, when we first met, we were kind of put together and then we just, we, we like, we just met up for some Japanese food and a beer. And we it was good. You know, we, I didn't know this guy, and he didn't really know me because we were like on, we were like, I don't know, but we were like on way opposite sides of like, yeah, <clears throat> who, who we were like running with, you know, because I was more like running with people who were who were in the art school, and I would go to the art school, and I, you know, I was on that kind of side, and Ellis right. was more on like his side, which was like knowing loads of people who loved to party and loved to kind of all clubbing and like, do you know what I mean? So like, we were on two different worlds almost you know yeah. I, I guess honestly if it wasn't for house music you know or, or being put together I don't think we would ever have met nah, not really or been friends because of the, you know like it was just it was really two different we're two different types of people for sure it's like opposites attract definitely because we went yeah. like even even sitting across from each other on that first like dinner dates thing and like we realized we weren't <laughs> from the same same planet because it's like he, Ivan had like a full-time job as well and I'm I'm like kind of this free free flown hustler type person like I try and make a bucket of anything, anything I see and then and but then those kind of worlds colliding it, it almost was like that's what was missing in, of my side of life like that that sort of world where you get introduced into like a taste in dance music all of it that's a weird thing our taste in dance music was so was so similar like we right we shared, we shared a passion for like deep house at the time it was like milton jackson and detroit swindle and and we, right. we shared that that passion where it was like really vibey chords and and which kind of like made it great i suppose because like you you've had these two different people but there's a common ground there somewhere <clears throat> yeah well so you talk about like you know having the same taste of music is really what brought you guys together um and I, you, like you said opposites attract um how has that played into like your the way you guys work together in the studio and like developing a friendship too um because it seems like you guys you guys know each other really well yeah, I mean, it's it, it 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 took a while, really. You know, even to this day, you know, the way you work, the way you work with somebody, and the way we work together, it, it changes like all the time for the better. You know, like you know, there's always to an extent teething problems when you work with somebody because there's always going to be creative differences in a way. But I wouldn't actually I wouldn't call them creative differences. It's just that you know, difference of opinion on certain things, yeah. which we still have, but it's just been able to sort of like get over them, get over it and get getting getting over your own ego, you know, yeah. and saying like, you know, it, it, unless one of us is going, it has to be this way, you know, and I'm certain it's gonna be this way, then the other one of us will go, Okay, I can accept that and you can you can step back, you know. So like in as it grew, you know, as we were working together over the years, it, it, it became more of like a, it just became more like a friendship rather than it being two of us working together. It was just like hanging out with your mate and writing records. And that's what made it easier. We didn't we didn't ever view it as like, I'm going to go work with Elias today and it's going to be business only. You know, it's only going to be records that we talk about and it's only going to be, it was never that. It was yeah. always just like, it became us becoming friends and like now it's like, Elias is like a brother to me, you know, because yeah. we speak every day. Like, and now that's just what it is. Yeah. 
And uh, you know, and then that's the way it developed. It was never really about business or, or writing records or just having that focus. It was more just that's it, it grew naturally that way, and it, we grew naturally in a way that we could work together really easily. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's like when I could be wrong, but when a lot of people start making music today, like they maybe dream of the the big stages and, and the party life too soon. Whether for us that wasn't. The, the the why we do this it was to do with loving music and, and enjoying make, like DJing and and like but you meet someone across from me and you don't have this grand plan you just kind of pl- do a record and see what happens with it and it's like a nice journey and <clears throat> and the fact that matter you trust this person as well um in the studio and just out with like like you said like we know each other so well we know when not to speak to each other when to be silent because we travel so much with each other when we can ask for an opinion when we moan and argue with each other as it's a little (laughs) bit like a a marriage like a like a a relationship with a family as a family member and but when it comes to music but i've mentioned there's like there's no ego like because like I could make a record all day long. Sometimes we we don't sit in the same studio and work together. And then I'm really loving what I've made, and I send it over, and he'll be like, "Yeah," and I might change this, and I might change that. And then I I don't really come with this attitude of like, <clears throat> "This is mine, and I needs to be like this." It kind of you need to have an open mind and an open heart with those type of things. And then nine times out of ten, he'll come back with something that I didn't see or I didn't hear, and I'll be like, "Wow, man! Like that's you've just." Take took it from here and put it up there, and and yeah. and that's yeah, kind on of the, on, the flip, <clears throat> on the flip side of that as well is that like, <clears throat> knowing when not to touch the record, yeah, and not yeah. because you think that you have to put your stamp on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. The two the two examples I would say that is that they kind of stick out to me is Ellie's ninety percent basically wrote shout our record on Tourum Records. Really. And yeah, because you came and you were like, this record, I, I, I'm really excited about it. And I was like, cool, let's hear it, loved it. And I had the session open and I was just looking at it going, am I just going to write something on it so I can say I, I wrote on that record? It didn't yeah. need me. You know, it was like, going, I'll just leave it. And then I said to Alice, I was like, I think it's perfect as it is. I was like, I don't know what you want me to do with it other than help you finish the record in the sense that, you yeah. know, like, let's get it sounding good. And right. that was it. And the other one I could think of, Elias, was probably the the Duke Dumont remix. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, 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 that was like you know mostly it was it was kind of me, and I was because I was like Elias, I've got this thing for this record. I want it to be discoy and eighties and things like this. And you were just like, I'll just let you run with it. Like, and I just ran with it. And those are just the two types of two records that I can remember off the top of my head. That yeah. either one of us is just went. Now I just I, I trust you what you've you've done on it. It doesn't need. Oh, it doesn't always need to have. Yeah, your opinion on something doesn't always, you know. Well, I think it's interesting that you guys mentioned that because I think part of a successful relationship is knowing when to give and when to take. Um, yeah. And you guys have really found that balance. And that's probably, you know, kind of a, you guys unlocked something in your relationship at some point where you understood like, hey, I know what to do. And you guys, I know what to, I know what to pull it and I know when to push. And that's, that's kind of a fantastic thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you have a PhD in biomedical engineering. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I have to think now because I because I do a lot of research, <laughs> um, and I happen to like run across your your PhD and a couple of papers that you've written with some with some <laughs> other people, and I couldn't understand <laughs> a word of anything. There was something in there about frogs and. 
I didn't know what was going on, but can you talk? Yeah, or something like that. That was. Oh yeah, I mean that that was just a little. That was a, another paper that I had my hand in. Right. So I, that was. Um, I mean, what was the question here? Sorry. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just curious. Um, one, can you talk about how you know you were going to school while you guys were working together? And yeah. I'm curious to see how, like, how you know, taking on such a intense thing as getting a PhD had an effect on your music career, for better or for worse. Um, well, the, to, to cut a long sort of story short, the, the the sort of reason why I took the PhD on, funnily enough, was actually to give me more time to do music. Oh, <laughs> because like when you do your PhD and and especially in the UK, you, if you have like a good supervisor, um, you you can have just freedom of time. Yeah, because you aren't you aren't told you have to be in at nine o'clock. You don't have lectures. You don't have to do classes. Um. So I, I was able to just pick my time. So I would like, you know, once I got going in the laboratory, I would just go in for 9 a.m. and I would finish at 2. I would do things as quick as possible and as right. efficient as possible. Yeah. And then I'd go to his house and we would write records in the afternoon because you were awake <laughs> by then. Because you yeah, were working exactly. the night before. So he was awake right. by 2 o'clock. So I'd then I'd go into his and I would, we would write some music. And that's just the way I wanted it to go. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. I think when when... The PhD is still one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life. And that was mostly just towards the end, but I really wanted to see it through because, like, I just, I don't like to leave things unfinished and, you know, I can't do that. And it's sort of, I kind of thank my parents for that because they just, they were like, oh, you can't quit. Like, don't quit things. So that's kind of instilled in my head. So I didn't want to do it. And, like, Elias absolutely appreciated how much work it was and when I had to do work and when I couldn't do it. You know, there was times that we were gigging at the weekend, you know, I would be in the laboratory Friday, leave leave at lunchtime, we'd fly out, gig all weekend. I'd come back in the next morning, I'd be in Monday morning in the laboratory at <clears> 8 a.m. Yeah. It's just the way it went and I just did it. I didn't think too much about it. It's just, it, it was just my life at the time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and, you know, like it, it was something... I really enjoyed was 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 my project. It was it was fun, and I, like you, you found some pa- papers. I published four papers, um, basically to do with like my findings, and they were really super interesting. But music's better, so <laughs> when I finished, you know, we got we got more of an opportunity when I'd finished my PhD. It was a little bit of luck, and it was good timing, you know, because we got an offer of management from Tool Room. And you know, we our, our agent came back and in, into the fray. Ben, you know, he keeps was like, I'd love to to represent you guys again. I think it can work. And this all kind of came when I just finished my PhD. So it was good timing and then a better, better time than any, really, just to knuckle down, write music and, and start trying to build this career. It really did feel like once I'd finished that, that's when we started really developing as artists. It's interesting that you say that too, because it's like you you finish this one thing and it kind of gave you the space to start the new thing, um, yeah. and you just kind of had to see that through. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, I, I don't think I could ever go back to academia. It's a tough place to to work, to be honest. It's it's it's, it's even more cutthroat in academia than it is on the music industry. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Uh, like, how do you compare the two? I actually think academia is horrendous. I think it's a horrible <laughs> Don't you mean I, I could do a complete I could do another podcast with you just on that. And Ellis knows my opinion on it. Uh, did you find any 
Sorry, did you find any map papers on fatherhood? <laughs> <laughs> I published loads of those papers. <laughs> oh, we can, me and you can talk. Me and you can talk about that for days. I have a kid too, so I understand. <laughs> I, I, tw- I, you know, I, I remember I, I tweeted um, uh, Funk Butcher because he was, you know, he's talking a lot about the music industry and, and how difficult it is. And I tweeted him once, and I said, "Oh, you know." The, the, the academic industry is far worse. It's a horrible place for me. Like it's it's it's, it's really a lot of uh, fragile people. Yeah. Mostly, mostly men are really fragile about their egos and their intelligence, and it's yeah. very vindictive and bullying and very power grab. Uh, and I actually felt like the music industry, in comparison, was was really chill. Believe it or not, and a lot of people would maybe disagree with me, but it's a fast, it's much better. Honestly, I feel way more relaxed than is in like. I just I couldn't go back to it anymore. No way. I would never go back to it. I'd honestly, I'd honestly rather work anywhere else. Well, you say there's even more uh, fragile egos in the music industry? That's crazy. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> as I'm saying, you know, I don't want to get into it because my blood pressure will go up if I talk about it too much. I've got a lot of stories and a lot of people that are very fragile and these are grown men, you know, that's supposedly meant to be intelligent. Doesn't matter, but that's all I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys use a lot of vocals in your in your music, um, and you talked in a, another interview about um, not being religious but using a gospel vocal and promise. Um, what yeah. is it about gospel vocals and house music that's so compelling? Um, it's it's probably just it's like it like diva voices and and like just if you if you want to talk history I suppose and it goes back to what we were doing earlier on like the everything in regards to those type of vocals have got soul and then soul attaches itself to rhythm and blues and and the back in the day and soul and even jazz I know jazz is obviously more instrumental but that these things the way harmonies work the records we create. The the like we had mentioned earlier, a few good and with gospel choir soul voices, most of it about most of it is either hardship that rises from something terrible to something amazing. And, right. And I think that's when you go to any sort of choir, I suppose, or any listen to any sort of soul voice, that energy just translates so well to humanity. Right, and, and then it trans translates so well in, into the records we make because it goes back to the ethos what we're talking about. When someone that doesn't know anything about dance music, like how would we describe our records? And the first word that springs to mind is feel good, and and that's kind of why I think these vocals always attach themselves really well to that the idea process of what we want to work with. <clears throat> yeah, and it's it's also having uh, just the utmost respect for for black music and black culture because. It's, it's 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 difficult because you don't want to encroach too heavily into into black culture w- without saying, well, look look what we created because it it's almost to you know to an extent it's like we we're we're utilizing gospel vocals for sure, but right. it's with utmost respect and um and just kind of knowing where it's coming from and 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 just understanding that you know and you know because we're not we're not creating gospel music. Gospel music was created long before we would ever do it, you know, and that's right. something you need to remember. And a lot of people forget that in dance music. You know, you you didn't create gospel music. I didn't create gospel music. We were, we're you know, we're just we're just yeah. innocent. We're 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 with coming in with the utmost respect for this type of music because 
there's there's nothing else out there that just like Ellie said, it doesn't have there's no other music that comes close to the type of energy that you get from that or feel good or hope or anything like that. So yeah, you yeah, come from a place of deep respect for it for sure. The Absolutely. Is, the beauty is sometimes just getting like an acapella like that and you just listen to the acapella and like your hair stand up and like I don't I don't know many other genres and voices and things that can do that. Like and there's pop music, obviously, but if you listen to like a pop acapella and listen to soul and gospel, like what that does to, to a person is totally different. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It's um it's interesting that that some of these these genres have found a way to like transcend like with gospel, like you can erase the religious part of it and you can just really appreciate the passion and and the love you can hear in that voice. It's like you said, it's it really like, like it touch, it's, it's touching to hear. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. It's, I mean, it, doesn't, it just doesn't get any better. Like it's, it's beautiful music and like for us to, to be allowed to use it as well is, is, is you know, is, is, is good because, you know, you've got to be fair in music now, especially more than ever. And, you know, understanding that like when we use singers and, you know, that they're getting paid appropriately and they're getting percentages appropriately. It's just, yeah. that, that's, that's just the sort of, that's not even a conversation that is to be had because it's just, it's, we just, it's, it's a given now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, just one more question before I let you guys go, but what excites you about the future of dance music? Um, good question, actually. It's a good question. Because it's been such a hard year, like yeah. it's such an unknown to be honest, like from my point of view, really, because we were discussing the other day, our manager Paul was on the text and he was like, what records have you been doing and what are you, what's finished and what you still got to do and we're doing like this big collab at the moment with someone and he was like, is that done? And And I kind of looked at the phone and went, we're so, we've got so many records made and so far ahead of schedule that like, I actually didn't feel like making music that day. And yeah. also partly because I don't know in my head what's happening and where it's where it's going as well. So, like, and what I miss out of it all is, like, DJing to get a feel for a crowd and a feel of what works. And then you come home from that journey and you kind of get an inspiration of, yes, I know what kind of stuff we want to make. And so... The future of dance music is kind of a little bit of a dark place for me. The most exciting thing in my head is I literally just dying to see people have a good time. Like that, yeah. that's the biggest thing I can't wait for. Like I, I, I personally, Ivan is as well, but I'm such a people person. Like I go into the crowd and I talk to people and like I dance with folk and I just want to play music and just enjoy people again. That's how simple I kind of see hopefully dance music can get back to that. The future is definitely going to be bright in terms of like just the people because I think this like not not to just hark on about this last year but everybody realised how much they missed clubs and how much they missed socialising and being with people and meeting new people. That's what's yeah. going to be the future. You know, you can talk all about like DJs. It's not about DJs. It's it's like the future. The future is going to be bright. People are are, are going to have this new like approach to life when things reopen and, and we get clubs going and festivals that's going to be the future of people just still going i love dance music i love it more than ever and i love being in amongst it you know that's what's yeah. going to be the future and that's what's that's that's what's going to be hopeful and that's what's that's what that's what we're both looking forward to absolutely beautiful beautifully stated by both of you um <laughs> 
Well, that's all I have for you guys. I, once again, I want to uh, send my appreciation to both of you for taking the time out to speak to me today. Thank you so much. Worries. This was a great conversation and it was great to meet you both. Excellent. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Nice one. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye.